0: But if I was to have a reading this morning, it um, would be a verse from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, and then a few verses from Ephesians, 4, going into verse 5. It says this: First of all, from 1 Peter 2:12, live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Ephesians 4, verses 29 to 5, verse 2 says this, Do not let any hope unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed, for the day of, rede- in, for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You may remember a few weeks ago, um, in the uh, September Family Service, I mentioned that it was uh, fairly common practice when we're doing various activities with the children, etc., hunt the worker, that we'd get dressed up. And there was all sorts of um, unusual things, you know, I mentioned about the back end of the camel and the front end of a horse, and uh, you can see the resemblance. But. Um, that was all about putting on a disguise to pretend to be something that we weren't what I'd like to talk about today is that God doesn't call us to be something that we're not but rather (laughs) he calls us and indeed gives us the invitation and provides the, the robes of his righteousness to put on to show who we belong to and show who he is, that's what I want to think about and um as we've just read lately, there in Ephesians, the key verse, um, or in the first verse, the key word, I should say, is therefore. Thinking about what's just been read, therefore. Paul's been talking about, in the previous verses, of getting rid of anything unwholesome and unhelpful, and puts up barriers, taking care in our conversations, being shrewd in terms of how we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ being uh, being in a situation where we're led by the Holy Spirit to build people up, not to pull them down getting rid of bitterness in the old life, in old situations gone. rooting out anger and malice not holding a grudge and sometimes we can read through superficially in these sort of passages and um, I'll give you a couple of examples it says rather be kind well let's hope we can all try to do that yeah? Be compassionate. Well, you might say, "Okay, that's great, as long as I can choose who I need to be compassionate to. You see how we stop, if we're not careful, we bring in qualifying statements which aren't there. Forgiving one another. Well, that should be alright. Hang on a minute. There's a second part of that sentence. Forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you." So that means unconditionally then. Wow, that's a tall order you might think. But verse 1 sort of gives us a, a great big clue. Be imitators of God. And um, the, the, the root of the word here for imitators is mimo-mai. My, my. My, 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 I believe, which is uh, where we get imitate or mimic from in English. And its, uh, its meaning is to be an imitator, a follower, an actor, not an actor as in putting something on, but to, to act out. And if you've ever seen anybody mime, their whole um, discourse, where we normally speak, their whole expression is exactly that. What they do, the way they conduct themselves, what they portray is their message. Remember, Paul says that we're living epistles, read of all men. In other words, Paul's saying here in Ephesians, don't just talk about God's love, but walk in it. Live it. Express it. Show it. Act it out. Don't tell, well, we need to tell. Don't just tell about God's love, but live it. Do as God does. Mime, in other words, live it out. the world. To continually mimic God's attitudes and actions. Wow. God's word through Paul was challenging the Ephesian church then, it challenges us today too, doesn't it? In the same way, to hear the message and as we hear the message, to demonstrate, demonstrate, underlined, true kindness, compassion and forgiveness. As we've just read about in these verses and it's not just something that we do in that sense although it is but it's a whole direction of our life what we're aiming for striving for not a perfection that we've already attained we're not perfect yet and there's somebody in the third row from the back can guarantee that that I'm not perfect yet. we're not perfect yet although praise God one day one day we will be When we're there, in his presence, he's going to perfect us completely. Philippians 3 verse 12 emphasises this, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So we keep going. We keep looking at him. That may seem like a tall order, I've already indicated that, but it's important to show what we believe and what we are by our deeds remember the verse in James James is all about doing and living out the faith in his book and James in the second chapter writes about faith and deeds and verse 26 emphasizes it and it says very pointedly faith without works is dead it's not just about this it's about these and what we do with these and where we go and how we live and how we express our faith in the Lord Jesus to people around us, whether it be in this building or whether it be outside. And William Barclay wrote this when he was commenting on this uh, portion of scripture. He says, When Paul talked of imitation, he was using language which the wise men of Greece could understand. Mimosis, imitation, was a main part of training of an orator. The teachers of rhetoric declared that the learning of oratory depended on three things, theory, imitation, practice, doing it. The main part of their training was the study and the imitation of the masters who had gone before. It was as if Paul said, if you were to train to be an orator, you would be told to imitate the masters of speech. Since you are training in life, you must imitate the Lord of life. The Lord of life. What an incredible privilege it is, but also a responsibility to be imitators of the true and living God. Philippians 2.5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus attitude, mindset, desire, all of those things which mimic, which look to replicate, which look to strive to go towards, mirror the Lord Jesus our Saviour. And What sort of things come to mind when we consider the Lord Jesus? We think about his humility. Norman spoke this morning to Junior Church about an incredible transformation from water into wine. But he didn't get up and emblazon it, did He did it humbly. Humbly and looking after the interests of others. And that's a great attitude to have. Hebrews 12 exhorts us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because he's the perfect example of pure love. He is the example that we need to follow. He's the one that we should seek to emulate. And verse 1 continues... The imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Dearly loved children. A number of translations phrase it, beloved children. And I know you know this, but isn't it great to know that we're loved? Dearly loved. And it's great to remind ourselves how much God our Father really loves us. You know, on Facebook or other platforms that are available, you get a like. Well, we're not just liked by God. It's not some sort of superficial affection. But this love is from the very heart of God. The very heart of God. The strongest love that could possibly be. We know that because he sent his son. Not just talked about or even written about the scripture, this love of God. Romans 5 8 puts it like this. God demonstrates his own love in this that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just get somebody to write it down. But God demonstrated his love for each one of us. That's some love. We are as children. Loved, dearly loved children. But when you read into it, Paul's not just talking about children being infants here. Helpless and weak. Not even about children who are perhaps mature and grown up. But the, the, the Greek word here is technon, which means offspring. Or very specifically, a son or daughter who bears the characteristics and nature of their father. A son or daughter who bears the characteristics of their father. That should be an encouragement but also a challenge to us. Because if we think, if we consider the characteristics of a heavenly father, should we be displaying those? Certainly. Earlier in Ephesians 2, in chapter 2, the same words used, uh, verses 11 and 19, Paul uses that same word, technon, but in a different way, not in a different way, it's the same way, in a different context, saying that we were by birth, if you like, children of, we're separated from Christ, excluded, foreigners, without hope, and without God. That was our line, that was our lineage. And then in Ephesians 2, verse 13, there's a big, however, a but, this big but. Now in Christ Jesus, we are in Him, folks. We were born into that, we would have been technon there, but now. Technon, we are in Christ Jesus. We are born, we have a new, reborn, we have a new father. Heavenly father. No longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Not just part, but dearly loved. And in verse 2, going back to Ephesians, we see that as we imitate, it becomes clear that we need to live a life of love. Remember I talked about the Oraturn how that it was to mimic and then to put into practice. Well, God's word, God's love, agape, which we, I know we're familiar with, as it's used here, God's unconditional love. What unconditional love it was, wasn't it? To send his son to the cross. And that's, this is a sacrificial love from the very heart of a person, from the very heart of God. And God wants us to have that same mindset and love freely given even though sometimes it's not returned, perhaps even rejected, a love that can only and truly be activated by God working through us. And the old hymn says this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can never tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, bound down with care, God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then you think about the magnitude of his love. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall fall not, not just tomorrow, not for next <coughs> week, forevermore endure Thank you. the saints' and angels' song. So emphasise again, we need to live a life of love, God's real love, powerful love, an attribute from him to reflect our Father. Ephesians three, sixteen and 19 says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power with all the Lord's holy people. to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's the key, isn't it? Rooted and established rooted and established in love it goes on grasp to a measure the greatness of god's love and it's we kind of get hold of it all but we're an attempt to to realize to know the love of god that surpasses knowledge we can't understand it completely but we can experience it we can rejoice in it we can revel in god's love it is great that you and i may be filled to the measure and you know if we're rooted and established and marvelling in the greatness of God's love and experiencing as God's love and then we're filled to the measure as we're filled, so God's love should be overflowing to the people around us too. Isn't that right? If you pour something in, it overflows. Verse 2 concludes that our Saviour Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The parallel one for you and I, folks, is this, Romans 12, one says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The essence of an offering and a sacrifice, as well as atonement, was so that it would please God. And surely we want to please God in our living, in the way that we live, in the way that we act, to show his nature and characteristics so that you can please him. I always think it's a fantastic accolade that Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. Isn't it? What a wonderful aim that would be for each one of us to please God. There's a well known passage from 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll not read it all, but I'll take some excerpts here. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then it mentions about the fact that prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled. Um, Prophecy was in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part um, disappears. And it says at the end of, of that section, And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And one commentary that I read says this on on why love is the greatest. It says, God is love. He has communicated his love to us and commands us to love one another. Love supersedes the gifts because it outlasts them all. Long after these gifts are no longer necessary, when we're promoted, it will be the governing principle that controls all that God And his redeemed people are and do love. One final example as I close. The Louvre in Paris is arguably the most famous museum in the world in terms of artwork and it displays many of great masters artwork. Amazing place. I've never been but this is what I'm told. And since 1793, the Louvre has encouraged aspiring artists to come and copy some of the masters. Some of the most famous modern artists have done that and become better painters by copying the best the world has ever known. In an article in the American Smithsonian Magazine, uh, a guy called Amand Darger was a 63-year-old man who'd been duplicating art at the Louvre for over 30 years, and he remained in awe of the masters and continued to learn from them. He said, if you're too satisfied with yourself, you can't improve. We've read today, Paul instructed us to be imitators of God. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, he commended the believers because they were becoming (coughs) like the Lord, setting an example for others. That's in 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, Verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, thereabouts. And here's the final thought. Like the Louvre copies, we'll never reach perfection. We've already said that. Not that we've reached perfection before we get to heaven. But we should resist the temptation of being satisfied with our present imitation and display of, of, of the Lord in our life. We need to keep on looking to him, looking at the master looking to him, learning from him, asking for his help, to seek to be like the master and copy his attributes, by his grace and by the power of the Spirit. Be imitators of God, therefore.